just look up on the screen, whichever is easier or better for you. Luke, the 13th chapter. We're in the baseball season. And there were a pair of uh, real big baseball fans, Pete and Tony. They were talking about baseball one day, and Pete said to Tony, Do you think there's baseball in heaven? Tony said, Man, I have no idea. Baseball in heaven, I don't know. Well, sometime after that, Tony died. And, you know, for the basis of the story, I guess, uh, somehow it was allowed that Tony was able to call down to Pete. And Pete asked him the question, Tony, you got to tell me, is there baseball in heaven? And Pete said, well, I got some good news and bad news on that. There is baseball in heaven. Well, what's the bad news? Tomorrow you're pitching. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, bad things happen sometimes, don't they? We're looking at this aspect of it here on our National Back to Church Sunday. Why does God let bad things happen? This is an accusation that is constantly made of God. Every time some bad kind of tragedy happens, God gets blamed. Every time something happens bad in our life, God gets blamed. We may even come to an understanding. I've seen people sit in church and understand that, well, all right, God's not behind these. These aren't acts of God. God didn't do these. And then something bad happened in their life. And what do they say? Why did God let this happen to me? What did I do? We have a very cause and effect mentality in that we think that if something bad happened to me, I must have done something bad. Anybody ever think that? Anybody ever heard out of your own mouth come the words, when tragedy happened, when something bad happened, or even just something frustrating happened, what did I do to deserve this? You ever say that? That is a wrong mentality. It is not a word mentality. It gets you in a whole heap of trouble. We need to get ourselves out of that. But it's good to know that we're not the only ones who think that way. That it has happened in the Bible, and some people came to Jesus who had that very same mentality. So let's take a look at how they did with, dealt with it. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 1, there were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Have you ever gotten around people after something bad happens? And what do they want to say? Did you hear what happened? Don't hear that so much after something good happens. But after something bad happens, you know, we got activity over in the Middle East. What do people, did you hear what happened? You get a big hurricane, hit something. Did you hear how many people died? Earthquake happens, buildings go down, people die. Did you hear what happened? Whenever something bad happens, it's on the forefront of our mind and we always want to talk to people. Did you hear what happened? Well, they bring it up to Jesus. Jesus is sitting around there. Did you hear what happened to these Galileans? And Jesus answered and said to them, I wonder if you've ever answered anybody who's ever come up to you this way. Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? How many times have you heard explanations about bad tragedies that have happened to other countries or other families or other states, other people, other towns? Bad tragedies come. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, do you think that they were worse sinners than you? Most times we hear people say, well, the reason that that happened to that country is because they are idol worshipers. The reason that happened to that, those people is because they're this way. Well, that's a very sinful city, so no wonder that happened to there. And we have all these explanations that come up with, you know, it has to do with how good we were. 
how bad we were. So he says to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? So if you ever wanted the answer to the question, do bad things happen to bad people because they're bad? Or do bad things happen to people because of things they've done? Jesus is going to answer that for you. I tell you, no. Now, we've talked about politicians here a lot, and I just like it so much. When a politician is asked a question and they say yes or no, I thoroughly enjoy that. I don't like politicians when they take 15 minutes to answer a question and when they finish, they haven't answered the question. They just took you around the block. I so much enjoyed that. You know, when we had the early goings on, there was a couple politicians that were out there. Uh, they were running for a presidency. They dropped out and all, but uh, oh, they were so good. If you asked them a question, they would immediately tell you what they thought. Nope. And then they'd explain why. Yes. Uh, Herman Cain, I just love the way he would answer people. And um, oh, who was the other guy? Uh, he was in the administration's uh, previous administration. I can't think of his name now. But uh, he would do the same thing. Just, just love the way they would come out and just answer the question. Fred Thomas Thompson and the one before, he was so good at answering questions. You come out, you ask him a question, you never wondered where he stood on it. You knew exactly where it was. But all those folks are not in elections anymore. But that's what I enjoy. And what does Jesus do here? He's asked the question. Or he actually, he, he brought up the question. And he says, do you think this is, the, this is what's going on? I'm telling you right now. No, that's not what's happening. So he's not leaving any room for doubt. No. No, that's so much better of an answer. No or yes than, well, I don't know, maybe sometimes. Because huh? I, I still don't know. But he says, do you think that's what happened? No. It's not it. And then he says, oh, here, here's another story for you. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, that don't know all the things that were involved. We don't know the relationship with God. And No, what's he say? No. <laughs> That's so good. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I think it is amazing to me in our news media today how many times they come up with a different report. You know, they, they try and schedule. They give you the little reports. When you're watching the show, comedy show or a drama show or a law show or whatever kind of show it is, and they come up with this um, report, you know, of course, more at 11, but they're going to say, scientists have discovered that milk will kill you. Details at 11. Milk will I like milk. How is, how is milk going to kill me? Oh, man. What do you mean milk? Mel, I like milk. What kind of milk? Maybe it's a certain kind. Maybe it's a certain type. Maybe it's milk coming from a certain place. I don't know. And we begin to wonder. And by the time 11 o'clock comes, we're thinking, i got to find out because milk might kill me. Fried food. It's going to kill you. So, you know, people drop fried food, fried food for a while. You know, coconut oil got on the, the bad list. Now it's back on the good list. Sacrum was on the banned list. Now they're saying, well, it's actually okay. Butter was on the bad list. Now they're finding out, well, margarine's worse off for you than butter. You may as well go back to the butter. And <laughs> you know, and taking vitamins is good, but taking vitamins may be harmful to your health. 
And if you don't get the right mix of vitamins or you don't get the right kind of vitamins, you might kill yourself. And herbs, well, herbs are good, but, you know, certain herbs, they come from certain places, they're not processed right, they may kill you too. There's all kinds of stuff out there that might kill us. I got news for everybody. We are all going to die. There's no way you're living on this earth all this, forever. You will die. Glory to God. We got to die to get into the new one. <laughs> Dying is good. But, you know, we're out there trying to prevent it. Trying to keep people alive for as long as possible because they're afraid of what's coming up. There's no reason to be afraid. Bible tells us what's coming up and it's good. I think the more you get into the Bible and the more you find out about the life that is to come, the harder it is to stay here. There's very often we could, I, I find myself coming to God and saying, God, just come now. I mean, <laughs> let's go. If you're not coming, just take me. I'm ready. Because, you know, the more you study about how good heaven is, wow, what are we doing down here? Why do I want to preserve myself? If you tell me that you can add five years if you don't drink milk anymore, see ya. I'm going to die early. Because, you know, you, what will happen is you'll skip milk. For all those years, you could have been enjoying, you have Oreo cookies dry. No one should be subject to that. If you have Oreo cookies, you need a glass of milk. Now, some people like to dip their Oreo cookies. I don't think I have to tell you, I don't dip my Oreo cookies. My Oreo cookies are separate from my milk. <laughs> Oreo cookies go in the plate. Milk goes in the cup. I eat the Oreo cookies. I drink some milk. I go back and forth. I see those people. They dunk their Oreo cookies, get them all soggy. I'm thinking, dear Lord, you've ruined the thing. But you know, I, like, I like chocolate milk. I like plain old ordinary milk. I'm not going to stop drinking milk no matter who it is that comes out. Especially, I told you before, I used to be a biology major. Major long time ago. And I know what they do in their studies. I have glimpses into what they do in their studies. I don't believe any of them because I know what they do. And it's really easy to doctor the results. And if you don't get results, you don't get money. So you don't have a motivation to not get results because no results means no money. Results means, oh, we need to study this some more. We're going to give you some more money. <laughs> So they want to find stuff that's going to kill you, even if it won't. So just rest assured, we are all going to die. And, and be fine with that. It's all right. You want to enjoy fried food? Enjoy it. Listen to your body. Listen to your spirit. Stop listening to the news. You know, sometimes I eat some food and it just doesn't sit with me well. I don't need to study. <laughs> I just say... That doesn't sit with me well. I'm not going to eat that. I've eaten at certain restaurants and, you know, I come out of there and it's... That just doesn't sit with me well. Guess what? I'm not going back. I'm not looking for studies. It didn't sit with me well. I, I don't think I'm going to go back there and eat that food. But just know we're all going to die. Enjoy your life when you're here. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Your spirit will tell you if you're eating bad stuff, the spirit of God will say, quit eating that junk. And it'll help you out. And he'll, he'll tell you. But just listen to him to tell you. Stop listening to the news media because they don't have your best interest in heart. They want money. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. <laughs> so he says, you think you're alive? <laughs> you think you're alive because you're good? Uh-uh. <laughs> we just haven't gotten to you yet. He also spoke this parable. He said, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his, 
in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. How many of you have fruit trees in your yard? I had a yard one time with fruit trees and I do not like having fruit trees in my yard. And they have, you know, the bees, the yellow jackets are all over the fruit and it ruins the grass and cutting it with the lawnmower and the fruit down on the ground. You got to pick it up and you pick it up. The bees come out and get you. It's just, it's not fun. I let other people raise the, raise the fruit. I'll get it from them and eat it. So, a certain man planted a fig tree, planted his vineyard. He came seeking fruit in it, found none. And he said to the keeper of this vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that you can cut it down. What he's telling you is this. There's a whole lot of unfruitful trees out there that he's let go for the purpose of fertilizing them, getting them going. But just because they're in the vineyard doesn't mean they are good or that they are producing. But to know this, He's got our eye on us. He knows the trees that are good. He knows the trees that are bad. Now, this is specifically talking about Israel. You can get into the, into the nuts and bolts of it here, but just basically this. The fig tree is representing Israel in an unproductive state. Always in the New Testament. The fig tree represents Israel in an unproductive state. In a state that is not spiritual. In a state that is not going after God. Anytime you see the fig tree, that's what it's representing. When you see the vine, it's Israel in a productive state. At a state attached to the Spirit and doing things. You don't have to wonder about it. That's the symbolism in the New Testament. Fig tree. Okay, this isn't going to be so good. <laughs> vine. Okay, this is better. <laughs> But that's what it does. That's what it represents. And he says, three years, how long has Jesus been ministering on the, on the earth right now? Boy, what a coincidence that is, isn't it? Hmm. Now he's telling them that all Israel is going to get plucked. You think just those guys in the tower? You think just those guys in the, uh, in, uh, the Galileans are, are, got judged? <laughs> judgment is coming to the whole nation, folks, and you better get it right. And I'm here to help you out. But you better get it right because judgment is coming. It hasn't come yet. We're holding off. People are interceding for you. You deserve judgment, but it's not coming yet because people are interceding for you. So stop sitting up there on your high horse saying, oh, look at those sinners. No, you're all sinners. You're all missing it. You're not doing the right thing here and you need to get right. That's why I'm here. A couple of uh, assumptions we had. The first assumption here is that bad things happen to bad people. The second assumption is that bad things haven't happened to me, so I am good. That's a, that's a wrong assumption. The third assumption, because God is righteous, He always judges sin immediately. God does not always judge sin immediately. God has mercy, and He sometimes withholds judgment. He says in the Old Testament, sometimes there's a third and fourth generation. When Canaan was in sin, how long did He give them mercy for? Four hundred years ended up being 430 but he said i'm going to give them 400 years and after that we're going to judge them the fourth assumption jerusalem as a nation is fruitful though it may have had some bad apples in it that was their assumption there's some bad assumptions that they made in this don't make assumptions sometimes you know we're coming to conclusions because we've assumed some things and those things we assumed were false we made a lot of assumptions way back in early days when they were mapping the earth and doing stuff. They made an assumption that the earth was flat. And they based things on that assumption. Well, they were wrong. The earth wasn't flat. 
But if you didn't believe that the earth was flat, you could be killed. They killed people who wanted to publish work that the earth was round. Huh. That's a bad assumption. Did it lead to some bad things? <laughs> yeah, people are sailing. Over. They think we're going to fall off the end. Of the Look, I can see it out there. That's the end of the earth. Of course, they kept going and they <laughs> kept being out there. They didn't figure that out. Well, they couldn't get on a, on a ship and just, you know, fly up into space and take a look. But, you know, some people figured out that the earth was round before they could do that. We got some bad assumptions. And those bad assumptions cause problems. We're going to go on, on here in verse 10. We're still in the same section here. And now he, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and, in, and could in no way raise herself up. Have you ever done anything that made your back so sore you could not straighten up? <laughs> Imagine that having that condition for 18 years. We're not talking about a bad back that once in a while would kick in. We're talking that for 18 years, this woman could not raise herself up. Would that be a bad thing? Yes. According to the assumptions, bad things happen to bad people because they did bad things. So something must be wrong with this woman that she is bent over. Now, don't don't look at it this this way. Well, this is just a woman in the old in the New Testament. No, look at it for yourself. How many of you have some bad things going on in your life? Some things that are not the blessing of God. And we look at that and as long as I think that's happening because of a good reason, or a reason from God, I will not apply what's at the end of this story. So we got to look at this for ourselves. Because we have had some things going on in our life that are bad. Like this woman. 18 years. Sometimes we have an assumption that says, well, if God wanted me to get rid of this, he would have taken it away. Anybody ever thought that? Anybody ever been taught that? Well, it must still be here because I've been believing God for 13 years. And it's still here. God must want it in my life. And what happens is we begin to make adjustments. And I've adjusted to it. Now, you've been over for 18 years. You've been over for a year. You make adjustments. <laughs> don't you? You are, you are now walking in a bent over state. I don't know how far bent over she was, but you can't straighten up. So you're, you're walking around like this. There are some things that you don't do now. If you were short, now you're shorter. You probably don't run to different places. Probably don't get on a bicycle. If they had bicycles. There's probably some activities that you don't do. You do I can't do that. I am bent over. And we've adjusted in life. We're not doing these things anymore. We are adjusting our expectations. I don't expect people to hire me because I'm bent over. So I lost that expectation. I'm going to get hired. There's a lot of things that, have, that she's adjusted to in her life because she feels that this thing, it must be God. It's been here. So there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. 
she had a spirit of infirmity. From that description, does that sound like it came from God? But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Now, for this, I need a woman who does not mind being bent over for a moment. Anybody, any volunteers? I will volunteer one if I don't get one. I need a woman who will be willing to be bent over just for a moment. All right, Mercy, come here. Oh, we got one. I didn't see it. Come on, get up here. You volunteered. I was going to get hurt. All right, be bent over. Now, Jesus is over here ministering, and Jesus says, woman, you are from your... What is her position? She had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. Jesus says to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Is that future tense or is that past tense? You are loosed. As of right now, you are loosed, past tense, from your infirmity. It's over. But what's her position? Now look what what he says. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Okay, thank you very much. So this is what I want you to see. (laughs) Jesus says to her, you are loosed from your infirmity, and her position is the same. It didn't change. But she was loosed. How does that work? She had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. That's the thing that was keeping her bent over. Jesus said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. As of right now, you are loosed, past tense, from your infirmity. And she stayed like this, didn't she? Until Jesus came up and then laid his hands on her and she was... Made straight. Now, you all know I am not an English person. But I love the Greek. Oh, I love Greek. Greek pulls me into grammar. English, I despise grammar. I do not like English grammar at all. But Greek grammar, oh, man, I can't wait to break into it. Can't wait. What this says is, through no act of her own, she was made Straight. It is in the passive in that the action of being made straight was made to her. It's kind of like this. Jesus came up, laid hands on her and then took her and straightened her up or something straightened her up. But she didn't do it that time. But Jesus said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Whole lot of folks, if he, if he would end the meeting right there and dismissed her, she would have gone home. How? Bent over. (laughs) She's still bent over. Because her thinking is, this is how I am. I've made adjustments. But Jesus said to her, you are loosed from your infirmity. And she didn't make a change yet. So he came over, laid hands on her, and the change was put upon her. Change! You are loosed! Now change. Line up with what you are declared to be. And she was made straight. It didn't say she straightened herself out. We have sometimes when that goes on. The man who said, take up your bed and walk. 
And what's it, what's it say he does? And he was made to take up his bed? No. And he took up his bed and walked. But this woman isn't the same thing. It says, and she was made straight. Because she didn't do anything. She stood there. Hunched <laughs> over. Because that's how it has been. See, a lot of times, when we believe that God is doing something in our life, we don't make any changes. We don't, we don't make any changes. We do the same thing. We keep going the same way. How many have ever worked at a job and the boss calls you into the office and he says, we're going to make a change. We're going to give you a 20% raise, effective immediately. How many of you make an immediate change? Honey, instead of going out to McDonald's tonight, <laughs> we're going out and, you know, Outback. Well, Outback costs more money. That's okay. <laughs> I'm making more money. Don't you make a change? If you get a 20% raise at work on the way home, are you stopping anywhere to buy something? <laughs> Has that ever happened? Why did you do that? You weren't going to stop and buy that thing before. Why would you buy it now? Because a change has occurred in my life. And so I go out and I do things according to that change. You'll do that thing that you change before you even get the paycheck. Because you already know, I'm making more money. Today, I made more money. You know what that means? I'm going out to lunch. I'm going out to Outback. Yeah. No more McDonald's for me. Instead of having that heat em up soup tonight for dinner, I'm buying steaks. I'm going to get something. I'm going to get some salmon. Right? You make a change based upon what you were told, but you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> hey. <laughs> she needed to make a change. She didn't make it. So Jesus came up and helped her. Somebody could, somehow something came on her to make her because she is made straight. <laughs> People who are not in bondage should not be bent over. They should be straight. So, laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Well, you would too. But you're not glorifying God like this. You say, well, thanks, Jesus. Appreciate that. But when somebody comes over and straightens you up, you say, Lord, to God. <laughs> I haven't been up like this in a while. But then, you, of course, religious people come out. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Remember when he was talking about unfruitful trees? This is one of them. No fruit. <laughs> He's getting ready to be removed. He just don't know it. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Jesus, I don't know if I was Jesus, I would say, then who'd you get healed on the other six days? <laughs> if you aren't working on the other six days, don't pick on me because I'm working on this one. That's what I would have said. That wouldn't have been as good. <laughs> Jesus is obviously better. And he, he picked this one to say, <laughs> the Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite. Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? 
You hypocrite? Yes, there are hypocrites in the church. And you can join them. It's okay. The only way we can get fixed on that is to be around Jesus. Getting His Word in us. You don't get fixed on that outside. So Jesus says that the woman is in Satan's bondage. This woman has been bound by Satan 18 years. 18 years. That is a long time that she was bound. 18 years. Wow, can you imagine having anything for 18 years? Now, did she want this? I don't think we have to ask her. I think it's pretty clear. No! I don't want it. If you found a guy, man or woman, driving around a car, smoke pouring out the back, it barely sounds like it's going to make it. There's rust all over the doors. There's no hood on the engine. The trunk is tied down with a rope. The passenger side glass is broken and it has plastic and tape in its place. And the back door is tied shut. Do you think you need to go up to this person and say, do you want to be loose from this car? Why is the person driving that car? Because that's all they got. If you came up and said, now I would love to give you a brand new car right from the lot. No miles on it at all. Full warranty. But I have a feeling that you're attached to this car. Because I see all the work that you've put in it with the ropes and the plastic and the duct tape. And, you know, I don't want to take all that away from you because, you know, you've worked hard on this car to keep it together. What do you think he would say? Man, I'll get rid of this in a second. Where do you want to go? (laughs) She didn't want this, but she's got it. Now, here's the big question. Here's the big thing you got to answer. Not only did she not want it, God didn't want it. For 18 years, she carried around this spirit of infirmity. And for 18 years, God didn't want her to carry it. How do we know that? Because when Jesus came on the scene, what did he do? He set her free. He said for 18 years, Satan has kept her bound up. Satan's keeping her bound up. He didn't say God was. He said Satan was. Now look at this. She didn't want it. God didn't want it. But for 18 years, she had it. Why? Why doesn't God just do something about it? I mean, you've got situations. You're sitting there. Why didn't God just do something about it? Nothing happened to the woman with who was bound up for 18 years until someone came Against it. Someone has to come against it. In Matthew 10 and verse 1, it says this, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. He gave them power, what? Against. He gave them power against until you come against something, it won't change. You've got to come against it. You've got to do something to, to change it. Have you ever had a fly in your house? You ever had a bunch of flies in your house? How do they go away? When you come against them. You get a fly swatter? You know how hard they are to find anymore? I don't know why. I'm going out looking for them. We've got one that's old as anything. And um, they work still. It still smashes them, but 
<laughs> you get this fly swatter. What do you do? You take the fly swatter and you come against the fly. What happens to the fly? He's dead. He's smushed. He's splattered. He's gone. Why? Because you came against them. If you've got mice in your house, what do you got to do about it? You got to come against them. How do you come against them? Mouse trap. You put poison around. You know, when our kids were younger, they didn't like the idea of mice dying. So we had to use live traps. They're growing up now. I don't have to worry about that. Then mice die. <laughs> you should see. It was, a, it was a sad thing. I'm taking these mice, putting them into a bucket, carrying them off to a field somewhere. Now they just die. They're dead. You know, I don't care where they go. I can just say they're dead. They're out of my house. Because they chew on stuff. They poop on stuff. They, they make a mess. They get into your stuff that you want and they make it no longer usable. So you come against them. If you don't want the thing that's going on, you got to come against it. That's how you change it. Come against the thing. So Jesus saw the woman with the infirmity and he came against it. He said, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. At that moment, she was loosed. She wasn't before because no one came against it. She was now. Jesus said she was bound for 18 years. That means she's not loosed. But he came against, you're loosed from your infirmity. She just didn't change and do anything about it yet. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You think he's trying to get a point across? You are made to come against some things. Because some things want to come against you. So you got to come against them with something better. President Reagan, when he got, took in, went into office, his idea of peace was, remember his, his, I love his phrase. I love so many things he came up with, but this one I just, mm. peace through strength. Peace through strength. That's good. That's good. You know why? He said, we can trust ourselves. We know we, we're a peaceful nation. So we're going to be the strongest one out there. Amen. And thereby, we're going to ensure peace. And he changed some things because up until then, under the previous administration, the United States was looked at as pretty weak and people, small nations would rise up against us. Not anymore. He changed it. Peace through strength. I don't know if I told you about this or not, but we were out seeing that, uh, that play over in Lancaster. They had uh, Jonah. One of the most powerful lines in the, in the thing with Jonah was, uh, for me, was a line from one of the Assyrian soldiers. One of the Assyrian soldiers was talking about mercy. And he took one of these other ones who was coming against some things and he subdued him. He's a bigger soldier. He's a better soldier. He subdued him and he put his sword right at his neck. And he made this line. I'll tell you what, the line had the power because of the visual part that was there. Here's his man. He's down on the ground. He's got the sword at his neck. And this man says, only the mighty can extend mercy. I thought, wow, that's good. <laughs> 
That is good. Only the mighty can extend mercy. Not the weak. God is the mighty one. He's the one who extends mercy. But you've got to come against some things. Now, Jesus became a man for a reason. In Luke chapter 4, we see that. He's, so he came to Nazareth, verse 16, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And when he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It didn't say me. He changed it. But it also had more to say. He cut that prophecy off halfway. If you've been around here for a while, we told you that before. He didn't read the full prophecy. Every time that the, that the um, priest got up in the synagogue and they read this prophecy, they read the whole thing. He stopped halfway because he stopped at the part that his ministry was right now. The second half of that prophecy was for the ministry when he comes back. But he stopped right here. He said, this is my ministry right now. Look at the ministry that I have. And he says to them, to preach, the, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That means there are brokenhearted people that God doesn't want brokenhearted. He wants them healed. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. That means there are captives that God doesn't want captive. He wants them liberated and he came to do that. To, and that's what he did with that woman, wasn't he? He proclaimed liberty to the one who was held captive and recovery of sight to the blind, which means he didn't want them blind. So he sent Jesus that they would recover it to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So he came to take situations that were not lined up with the will of God and to turn them around so that they were. If things happen in this world the way God wants them to be, why was Jesus' ministry needed? Why was Jesus sent? Why did Jesus then commission his disciples and commission those that would come after him to keep on doing the work that he did? John 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, the Greek in this is really fun. We don't think I take the time. We could just break this down and just have fun all day with this verse. But I'm going to read for you an expanded translation that takes a lot of that stuff, puts it right into the translation. So you ready? You won't see this up on the screen. You've got to listen for this one. It's not short. <laughs> the thief wants to get his hands into every good thing in your life. In fact, this pickpocket is looking for any opportunity to wiggle his way so deeply into your personal affairs that he can walk off with everything you hold precious and dear. And that's not all. When he's finished stealing all your goods and possessions, he'll take his plan to rob you blind to the next level. He'll create conditions and situations so horrible that you'll see no way to resolve to solve the problem except to sacrifice everything that remains from his previous attacks. The goal of this thief is to totally waste and devastate your life. If nothing stops him, he'll leave you insolvent, flat broke, and cleaned out in every area of your life. You end up feeling as if you are finished 
and out of business. Make no mistake, the enemy's ultimate aim is to obliterate you. Now, you get into the Greek of each one of those words, that's what you come out with. Because Greek words are phenomenal. English words are boring. That's just my opinion. (laughs) So, look at this woman. She has been over for 18 years. 18 years, she has been bound up like this. I'm going to read verse 16. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Now, this woman, where is she? Right now, where is she? She's in the house of God, isn't she? She is in the house of God. She's in a meeting. She's in the house of God in a meeting. What do you think? This is not her first time. I want you to see this about it. She's in the house of God. She's in a meeting. She's still bent over. Location didn't change anything. You can be in the house of God and still have a problem. Do you remember when Jesus was in the meeting? The place was full and they brought the paralytic and they couldn't get in. So they went up on the roof and they pour open the roof and they lowered the guy down. And the word of God says that the sp- go back and check it out yourself. I'm going to tell you, I know it's there. It says the spirit of the Lord was present to heal them all. The spirit of the Lord was there, was present to heal them. But when we got done, how many were healed? One. One. We had the Spirit of God present to heal them and ended up having the Spirit of God healing Him. But that wasn't the intended purpose, was it? If God intended to heal more than one, well, don't you get the impression that God intended to heal more than one when the Spirit of God was there to heal them? Instead, we have the Spirit of God there that healed Him. You can be in a meeting, you can be around the presence of God and still not get healed. And it doesn't mean it's not God's will that you be healed. It does not mean that at all. Because what is the purpose of Jesus' ministry? He read over it and we're to go out and fulfill His ministry. So we're to do the same thing. Proclaim liberty, heal the sick, recovery of sight to the blind, so forth. Not make them blind. Not make them bent over. Location didn't change anything for her. Need didn't change anything for her. Sometimes we think that because of my great need, God is going to come through. God, look at my great need. God is not moved by need. I wish he was. (laughs) But God is not moved by need. He's not moved by location. He's not moved by need. He's not moved by goodness. Goodness didn't change anything. He doesn't say anything about this woman being bad, good, or anything. And he did that whole teaching about good and bad. You think they were bad because that happened? I'm going to tell you what. Some of you folks here, just as bad, and you're about ready to die too. Judgment of God's coming on you. Or the enemy coming against you, however it was that they died. He didn't get into how they died. He just said, don't think just because you're here, you're good. Location didn't change anything. Need didn't change anything. Goodness didn't change anything. Faith changes anything. It's faith that does it. Jesus had the faith in this situation. And he acted on behalf of the woman. So Satan had bound, said that Satan has bound 
Think of it, he says, for 18 years. But he calls her a daughter of Abraham. The seed of Abraham. He doesn't call too many people that. And when he had said these things, verse 17, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Now in John chapter 8, verse 37, I'm just going to read this, this quickly here. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. There's a difference between Abraham's descendants. He calls a lot of people Abraham's descendants. Not too many people Abraham's seed. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Even though they were born of Abraham, he says, you're not of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and come from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Can you get stronger than that? He's taking the religious leaders, people that are descendants of Abraham. And he says, you're of your father, the devil. You're not of Abraham. If you're Abraham, you do his works. If you have your father, God, you would do his works. and You'd recognize his word. You're not of them because you don't recognize them. You don't mince words there, does he? Now, when Jesus says that this woman was loosed from her infirmity, the word that is used there is the Greek word luo. The actual word that's in that verse is a little longer than luo. <laughs> but you don't need that. It comes from the Greek word luo. It means to loosen, break up, destroy, dissolve, loose, melt, put off. It refers to any act of untying or unloosing something. It was used in classical Greek literature to refer to people being delivered, released, or freed from difficulties, burdens, or needs. It was used to depict the untying of the of the shoe of a sandal, the fastening of a donkey's colt, the loosening, unraveling, and removing of Lazarus' grave clothes, the taking away of Paul's chains. But it also means, the Greek word luo also means to break or to destroy, as in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 2. That's where it says that Jesus is worthy to loose or break the seal of the scroll. She was bound by Satan. She was loosed by Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Let me read this for you again. That he might destroy, the word there for destroy, is the Greek word luo. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might luo 
the works of the devil. Same thing he did to that woman. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Let me read this to you from another expanded translation. For the, uh, 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might untie people from all the works of the devil, unraveling Satan's hold on them until the devil's works in people's lives are utterly destroyed and his hostages are set free. <laughs> That's what He comes to do. We got to stop looking at our situations and we look at the unfavorable things that go on and think they came for some reason. God must have some purpose. The purpose of the enemy is to lure you in to get you tied up into something that you are not to be bound to. And so if he can sell you on a lie that God wants you to have this, God doesn't want you to have this. God wants you in that situation. God desires this to be there then you don't fight against it. You don't come against the thing. And if you don't come against it, it don't go nowhere. So what he wants to get you to do is to stop coming against the thing. Because if you stop coming against the works of the devil, the devil can steal, kill, and destroy all he wants to. And you'll blame it on God. Well, God must want this. God must have some great purpose. God is teaching me some great thing. He put aside the entire Word of God to tie you to things that are related to the devil, to teach you a lesson. What kind of God do you think we are that we serve? What kind of God do you think that we serve? We serve a good God. We serve a God who does good things and desires good things for His kids. We serve a God who sent Jesus into this world because he saw people bound up with things he didn't want them bound up with anymore. And he says, I've anointed you to go into there and to destroy those yokes. I've sent you to go in there and to set the captives free. I sent you to go on there and declare the year of Jubilee. I've sent you in there to take those that are bound and set them to liberty. I sent you in there to take those that were blind and have them not be blind anymore. Those that were deaf and not be deaf anymore. Those who are dying and not be dying anymore. That's the work of God. And anything else is not the work of God. It's the work of Satan. And as long as Satan can get us to believe that that work is from God, he can tie us to it. And thereby we are bound. But Jesus wants to come along and break the bounds. <laughs> and then once we break the bounds, you've got to respond. You've got to stand up. You're not bound anymore. It's over. Bond's been broken. So Jesus comes over and stands her up. We've got to stand up. In order, put this in your outline, in order for us to be loosed from what we are bound to, someone or something must come against it. Someone's got to come against it. It may as well be you. Somebody else can do it too, but it may as well be you. Who's more concerned about it? <laughs> you are. The woman with the issue of blood. Who came against her infirmity? She did. Jesus didn't come against it. She did. When Jesus turned to her and he said what to her? Woman, your faith has made you whole. You see, there's three ways people are healed in the Word of God. One is by their faith. One, another one is by the faith of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. And 
Three is a combination of the two. But someone comes against it. We all want God to just jump in and just take over our battle force. And he says, I can't do that. I need a man on the earth. That's why I anointed Jesus. If God could have done it, why send his son? If God could just do it, why not just do it? Why does he send his son? Why does he make his son come to earth and then have to die and have to do all that? Because he needs a man to do it. He needs to anoint a man to come against those things that are going on. And when you get a man or a woman, a per, you know, a man, just a human, who will come against it, victory. When you tie him into the things of God. But you've got to come against it. The victory for whatever it is that, come against you, that comes against you is yours to be had. But you've got to come against it. You can't be passive about it. You've got to come against it. You've got to be as tough as it is. As full-time as it is, you've got to be just as full-time. If it comes against you at night, you need to come against it at night. If it comes against you during the day, you need to come against it during the day. You just keep coming against it. How long do I come against it? You come against it. You just keep coming against it. You don't stop. You look at those folks that are out there playing sports, playing tennis, playing football. They're playing hockey. Do they ever stop, you know, halfway through the shift? You know what? I just can't come against you anymore. Can you give me a little break? Can we just kind of rest for a little bit? What's, what's the enemy say? The person on the other side. <laughs> I'm coming to get you now. <laughs> you're getting weak. You're getting weak. Mm-mm. No, you're strong in the Lord. You're strong in the Lord. And see, that's the purpose of church. That's why you get into church. That's why you get into church that keeps going over with you the word of God, the word of God. The Word of God. How many of you have ever done something that took a little bit of skill? Maybe it was tennis. Maybe it's golf. Maybe it's uh, basketball. Uh, some kind of a, a sport or some kind of activity that takes some skill. Anybody ever done something? Where you go to classes? Anybody ever going to classes? You go to class tennis classes. You go to uh, uh, whatever the classes are that they're doing the thing that you do. You go to the class. How many of you, when you're going to the class, got to be real good at it? What happens when you stop the class? <laughs> what happens when you stop getting the input? The, the working the thing over. What happens when you took that tennis racket and you put it in the shed? And it stayed there. What happened to your tennis game? It kind of went downhill, didn't it? That backhand went back to being slices. That golf game, you're, you're not hitting the greens anymore. You're not hitting the fairway. You're, you're, you're off in the trees. Why? Because if you want to stay sharp, you've got to stay with it. The pros have teachers, don't they? They have teachers. Pro golf people, they have teachers. Pro football players have coaches. They're always in there getting better. They show up at practice every day. They keep working at it. They keep going at it. Why? Because if you stop going at it, you'll get rusty. You'll get a little soft on the thing. You begin to get corrupted on it a, a little bit. You're not quite as sharp on the Word of God like you were before. That's why you got to stay in the Word. Stay in a Word, church. Keep hearing the Word. Keep studying the Word. Keep praying. Keep going after God. Because when you do and the enemy comes against you, he finds out, I'm a force to be reckoned with. I'm a force to be reckoned I'm no wimp. And you're putting that on me? That's not from God. I'm not taking that. I'm coming against that. That's not mine. I don't believe that. That's not mine. 
This is not standing against the thing of God. This is not doing it. We'll show you how not to do it. Well, I believe that I'm healed, but I still hurt so bad. And it's so tough. And it's been 18 years. I've been going at it and going at it and going at it. And I'm just getting tired. And I just need some help. Will you all get with me? And will you pray with me? And will you hold me up in prayer? Because I'm just so tired. That's not, you are, you are not a force to be reckoned with. You are a force to be overrun. The Denny is sitting there licking his chops saying, we got this one. <laughs> we got this one. We got him worn down. Let's go in for the kill. And what's God say? Man, I gave you the tools. I gave you the classes. I gave you the opportunity. I gave you all the weapons. I gave you the armor. Put it on. Stand against something. You got stuff to do that. We got to be like David who's walking around the army saying, why, why are you all cowering? Why are you all, why isn't, why isn't there a line? To go out there and fight this guy. You mean I don't have to contend with anybody? I can just go fight him? Really? No one's going to stand in my way? And he, what's he say? I don't care how big he is. This uncircumcised Philistine be just like the lion, just like the bear. Knocked him right out. Come on. <laughs> what's Saul say? You're just a boy. <laughs> don't matter. He has come against God. He's come against God. And he doesn't know what he's in for now. He came against God. I'm just going in there to clean up the stuff. God's already defeated him. He came against God. When sickness and disease and such comes against you, guess what, folks? They came against God. You know why? Because you are in covenant with God. Because of Abraham, you are in covenant with God. When the enemy comes against you, he comes against God. David's words are, you have spoken against this army. Therefore, you have spoken against God. Can we get that? Come against the thing that is coming against you. Football is going to be on TV today. How many of you are planning on watch football? Come on, folks, get saved. Watch some football. <laughs> but you just don't want to admit it? When you watch football today, you're going to see offensive lines and defensive lines, and you're going to see them crashing into each other. I want you to watch the offense and the defensive line. I know everybody wants to watch the wide receivers and the running backs and the quarterbacks. But I want you to watch the offensive line and the defensive line. And I want to want you, want you to see some of the most powerful forces on that field. 300, 350-pound men with muscles galore who are going to come against each other Play after play after play after play after play. And you know what they're thinking each time? I'm going to drive this guy in the next week. They're fired up. They're angry. They come off on the sidelines and what do they do? Oh, are you okay? You look like you might have got hurt out there. Are you all right? Can I get you anything? What do they do to each other? They start slapping each other in the helmet. They start slapping each other in the shoulder pads. They start knocking each other around. Yeah, come on, get them. They're fired up. They want to they eat the other linemen. That's the attitude we got to have. You need to have defensive and offensive lineman attitude when you come against the devil. Devil, you're coming against me. You're trying to get my quarterback. You're trying to get my stuff? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to put you flat on your butt. And when you get up, I'm going to put you back on there again. 
And if you get up, I'm going to put you back down on your butt again. And if you dare to get up again, I'm going to put you back down on it again. As many times as you get up, I'm going to put you down. That's coming against something. Instead of sitting around here and saying, Coach, will you come in here and help me out? They're so tough. They're so hard. I can't keep it up. What's the coach going to do? Get out! We got somebody else here on the sideline who wants to get in there and fight. You get out. I don't need that attitude out there in my line. Get out of there. Come against the enemy. And stop looking at all this stuff going on in the world. Why does God allow? Who's allowing it? We are. Because we're not coming against stuff. We need to start coming against some things. You're getting tired of storms wiping out the city? Then come against some storms. You're getting tired of people and their evil coming against others? Then come against some of those evil people. Well, I don't know if we can. You can. If they come against the people of God, then you can come against them. Let's stand against something because nothing changes until we stand against it. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you. We can come against some things here this morning. We can come against some things in our lives. Our lives do not have to stay the same. They do not have to be subject to the same bondage we were in subject to before. We have been set free. We are at liberty. We walk in that freedom. Glory be to God. Heads bowed. If you are here today, I am in bondage to something. Whatever it is. You don't have to say what it is. I'm in bondage. I know I'm in bondage to something. I'm not supposed to be, but I know I'm in bondage to something. I want to get freed from that sucker. I'm coming against it. Say that right now. Raise your hand up. I'm coming against it. It's not coming. It's not going to stay in my life. I'm coming against it. Because the only way things change is when you come against it. Stop waiting for God to step in. You don't expect the coach to show up on the football field. Don't expect God to show up. He needs people, players on the field. We're the ones that are qualified to be on the field. And he says, now go against it. I've given you the armor. I've given you the word of God. I've given you the logos of God. I've given you the rhema of God, the spoken word of God. I've given you the Spirit of God. I've given you the anointing of God. I've given you the power of the name of Jesus. Now come against it. Come against it. Glory to God. Father, you see those hands that are raised up here, people that are coming against stuff? There is nobody more passionate about what we come against than ourselves because we face it. And I thank you that we are fired up. We are ready. We are equipped to come against what it is that keeps coming against us. Whether it's a physical condition, whether it's a health-related thing, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's an emotional issue, whatever the issues are that are coming against us, in the name of Jesus, we are standing against them now. We are not going to keep carrying this thing to prayer. Oh, God, do something about it. That's, unfa- that's not faith. That's not believing. We are coming against it. We will speak against it. I am loosed from that thing. I am not bound by that. Devil, you cannot come in here and steal. You cannot come in here and kill. You cannot come in here to destroy. I am a child, a seed of Abraham. My father is Father God. Father, we thank you for it. Thank you for the strength and the power that we go out with. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Glory to God. That's what church is for, folks. It's here to build us up. It's here to encourage us. We're here to encourage each other. We're here to stand with each other. Make sure we do. Let's come against some things. When you find out that a brother or sister is, is having something going on in their life, 
Come against the widow. Don't sit there and waste time in prayer saying, Oh God, do something for that brother. Do something for that sister. Oh, let that thing go. Stop that. You are wasting time. And God's not hearing that stuff anyway. It's not faith filled. What do you do? I stand with my brother. I stand with my sister in the name of Jesus. That is not going on anymore. We don't need to, to spend long periods of time for these things. We just need to join with them. Stand with them. So make sure you got some, some folks that are, that are going on. If you want to talk about your situation, the thing that's going on, you, you go right on ahead. We know some of the things that have been going on here have been going on for a little while. Brother Bob's been looking for a job for a little while. We're coming against that. How many are going to join with us and come against that? Yes. Yes. Glory to God. Yes. Brother Job, looking for a job. Amen. Glory to God. One's going to, get a, he, one's, one's going to come to him. He's coming against something. Yes. devil's not going to be able to keep that, that thing out of there. Some of you other, you want, if you have a situation, don't give us all the details. But if you've got a situation you want to speak it out, tell it right now. What do you got? Amen. You want us to, to join in there with you? Speak it out. What's up? Anybody? Yeah. Tell me what it is, not the details. Are they born again? No. That's their problem. We've got to come against that. You can come against all the sins you want to in the world. You've got to come against the, 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 that part first. And so you come against that by first off the blindness that's on their eyes to see the gospel light and that laborers are sent into the field. Those are the two things the Word of God tells us to do. That's how we come against it. Anyone else? Quick, we just want to... Yeah, Elizabeth. Energy. All right. Devil can come along trying to sap energy. It's come against that. Anybody else? Yeah. Book publisher. We need a book publisher. It's come against that. That uh, a book publisher is going to be found. Enemy wants to try and keep that away. Bert. Bones need to be strengthened. All right. Anyone else? Oh, how do I not see that? Yeah. A little bit on the lack side. All right. That's the devil trying to get in and pull some things back in the name of Jesus, the things that they need, that whatever they're, they're, I mean, one's a business, one's a job, the things that need to be going on there, they come in. Yeah. And another one of energy. All right. You speak to that body. Make sure if you're in the area of energy, don't just come against it by sitting there, oh, I wish I had it. No, that's not coming against it. You come against it by saying, I have energy. This is real important. You gotta get this. The woman didn't change when she was spoken. If you have a thing like energy, you gotta start doing some things. You gotta step out. How many times you felt, oh, I am so tired. I just can't do anything. What do you do? Well, I'll just lay down and rest for a little while, right? <laughs> no, that's not coming against anything. <laughs> what you do is you speak to her. Body, you get in line. I have energy. And then you go out and you do something. You do something with that energy. Stop laying around waiting for the energy to hit you. It's like the woman bent over. Somebody's got to come over and... Uh, some people would have just slapped the woman. You know. <laughs> Get out! Jesus is a little nicer. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Father God, we thank you. We can bring the kingdom of God to work. People are going to try and come against that and stop that. I know that there's going to be wisdom from God. How I can bring that in in a good way that people are going to begin to ask me about things. Absolutely. Come against it. We don't, we don't waste time sitting here in intercession. Oh, God. Oh, no. Do something. Do something. David did not have an intercession meeting. He went to the brook, got five stones. He prepared himself to go after the thing. 
That's what we need to do. Anybody else? Went forward here. Yeah. Say that one more time. Occultic spirits. Ah. Darkness is really coming over them. We come against that darkness that's there and for ministers to be sent into the, the field there. Absolutely. Yeah. Speak against those fevers. Every time you feel it, come on. You come against it. You speak to the thing. I'll tell you what, sometimes people get sick and they start feeling down about something and they feel like they're coming against it by, well, I'll just lay here and just meditate on the Word or quote the Scripture or stuff like that. No, get up! Get up and do something. Here's one for you. You remember Jesus comes into Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law has a fever? And so Jesus lays hands on her and after she gets up, what's He say? Take it easy. We'll take care of you. What's she do? She get up and made him dinner. <laughs> That's what you do. Follow after that. Go after those things. Your body's going to, it's going to come against you. So you come against the body. Cause your body, you're going to have that fever. Oh man, I got that fever. Oh, I got no energy. Oh, and you're going to step out to do something and your body's going to be talking to you. It's going to be saying, Oh, don't do it. Oh, don't step out. Oh, just rest a little bit longer. You know what? That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. You keep on going. You keep on pushing. No, I, I'm not stopping. I'm going to go. What were you going to do if you didn't have a fever? If you didn't have the lack of energy? What were you going to do? Well, I would have done this if I had... Well, then do it! Come against it. How else are you going to come against it? You do stuff. Most of the time in the Word, when Jesus laid hands on someone to heal them, He told them to do something told them to do something. And it had to do with their condition. Told them to do something. You're going to come against it. You are going to do something against the condition. You got to do. Most days I wake up, I feel great. Every once in a while I wake up, I don't feel great. You know what I do? The same thing I would do in the days I feel great. I don't change. I keep going. No, I was going to do this. I'm going to do it. My body's talking to me. Oh, man, it hurts. Oh, oh, it's this. Nope. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pushing through. And you know what? Before long, I forgot. I forgot I was even going against anything. It's over. But I'll tell you what. If I lay down there, you got time for this? I don't want to keep. Brother Keith Moore was talking about when they went overseas one time and they accidentally got some bad water. They went overseas, had a whole group of people. You know what happens when you go overseas and you drink foreign water? Your body's just not used to what's in the water, and so your body can't fight the thing. And so um, a whole bunch of them, they all got this, the bad water, and they were all really feeling... If you've ever been overseas and you had the bad water, you know what you feel like. If not, you've heard stories, and it's probably as bad as you heard, or worse. But he decided, he said, no, I believe I am healed. And he, he went, and he said, oh, it was tough. Oh, my whole body saying, you should have stayed back. You should have just stayed over there and rested with everybody else. Oh, it was tough. By the time he got back, he was 100%. And everybody else who stayed back was sick as a dog, as they say. Sick as could be. But he kept pushing through. It was not easy. When you come against a thing, it is not easy. But it is a whole lot better than giving in. It's a whole lot better than giving in. Fight the thing. But fight it not, well, I'm just going to be stronger than this. Fight it with the armor of God. Fight it with the Word of God. Come after it with the Word of God. Don't just come after it with your own strength. Come after it with the Word of God. No, Father God, this is what you said in your Word. This is what you said to do in your, in your Word. 
this is what you said over here. We got a series coming up. I told people on Wednesday night about it. The series is coming up. Five minutes to effective prayers. I don't know when it's coming up. It's coming up. Because too, too long, too often we think that to be effective in prayer, we've got to be talking to God about one thing for a long time. And you don't have to. I'm not talking about, you know, there's intercession prayers and those are some long kinds of prayers that go on. I'm talking about people who go to God and most of the time they spend the time there begging, pleading God to do something, to move on, do whatever it is that they're asking them to do. Five minutes to effective prayers. We're going to go over some Bible principles in that. Don't know when it's happen, coming, but it's coming up soon. We've got to, got to change our... We've got to come against the things that come against us with the things that God has given us. The Word of God says, the weapons of our warfare are kind of meek. The weapons of our warfare might get the job done. What's it say? The weapons of our warfare are mighty. And what do they do to strongholds? They always pull the strongholds down. If the weapons of our warfare that are mighty always pull the strongholds down, we went over this a long time ago in the Knowledge of God series, you remember that, then are the strongholds really strongholds? <laughs> We're looking at too many things in our lives, folks, and we call them strongholds. And God says, you have the weapons to pull it down. It's not a stronghold. But you've got to use the weapons. We're using other things. Well, glory to God. We can go into this all, all the time. It's we need to come against some stuff. Stop listening to these people who say, well, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. No! If God wanted it to happen somewhere in 18 years, it would have happened. He came across a lame man. How long was he lame? From his mother's birth. The, woman, the man at the, uh, the gate beautiful. How long was he lame? About 40 years. You think God somewhere along the line would have, well, you know what? He's been at it for 40 years. Maybe I ought to give him a break. But as soon, as soon as John and Peter got into a place to expect anything, it was gone. It was gone. What is in your life that is not of God, God does not want in your life for another moment. And as long as you think that he might, that he sort of does, that maybe he does, that maybe there's a reason for it, that maybe there's something I'm learning, then it's going to stay in your life. The devil's going to keep you tied to it. But it doesn't have to be that way. So much more we can get into with that. But have a great week. Wednesday night, we're going to be here with the Wednesday night service.